I'm Alexandra Kreis and you're listening to Outer Travel in a Journey. In my own search for self-understanding, I have met people from all walks of life. I bring to you a taste of these encounters. wonderful day to everybody who is listening right now. You are listening to How to Travel in a Journey with Alexandra and her Karen, current guest on the show today is Adair Finuken. Yay! Hey there. how are you? I'm so good. I have my brand new little puppy next to me and I'm happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm happy to have you on this show where I'm trying to reveal a little bit that in everybody there is a path unfolding when we start listening. listening. And before we go into this um, conversation together, I'm just going to say something about you so people know who you are. So you're coming and living from um, Rochester in New York. Yes, you've been born there, lived there, and you're living there with your love, with your big love, James, who had to leave the room so we can record this show. And yeah, and there has started out as a social worker and then kind of her her big thing that we're going to talk about in a moment's time has brought her to really turn attention to Ayurveda as well and to wellness you know, for, to health and wellness in general and to help people to discover whatever they need to discover to heal and integrate their life so it becomes passionate and fulfilled. Yes. So here we are with a big introduction. But there, tell us a little bit about what it was that kind of turned you from social worker to coaching and Ayurveda. It's interesting. I struggled a lot with, you could call it a lot of different things, but a great deal of sensitivity from the time I was a little, little kid, really small. And that looked like rage and a lot of uncontrollable anger when I was very little, like maybe six years old or so. I probably before that it started. Let's back up. I got diagnosed (laughs) with celiac disease when I was three years old which is pretty young to get diagnosed with celiac. A lot of people can make it up to their 60s or 70s and have a lot of issues, um, they don't know that they have it. So I got diagnosed quite young. My current theory is that something about the immunological stuff going on with celiac really messed with my chemical balance maybe my emotional balance something Mm -hmm. along those lines this is a pretty recent theory for me but anyways um i also wasn't able to eat the things that other kids were able to eat and i would get sick pretty easily so there were some things about my childhood that were very different for me than they were for my siblings and they were very different for than the other kids i was around and my hunch is that they that may have had something to do with a lot of the disturbance I experienced as a little kid because I was capable of joy and I was raised by people who were super kind and you know Mm. compassionate I was I was in a really supportive environment but my folks didn't know what to do with me Um, you know when you have a child who's rageful 
like, yeah. and they're six. That's not, that's not a typical state for a kid who's six, especially if they haven't been through any explicit maltreatment. So that rage turned into depression and anxiety over time yeah. and it never really went away. You know, I, I could, I could function very normally in school. I seemed quote, very normal. I knew how to kind of keep it together in social environments, but I had this inner world that was extremely tumultuous not all the time again really capable of joy very creative socially on point academically on point but a lot of pain that i lived mm. with for a long long time mm. and that pain was very much connected to being very sensitive to the pain in the world you know i remember noticing specifically like one example comes to mind i think i was maybe 10 and there was a girl at the church we went to who had cerebral palsy and she was pretty close to quadriplegic. And I remember just screaming with mm. pain about where, like why, you just know, why, can, why does that or, girl, yeah. that, that she wasn't able to do what we were able to do, that like she had to be in a body like that. And, mm. you know, my folks were empathic, but they weren't always pointing out the misfortunes of others, if you will. You know, they weren't like, focusing on it. So that was how sensitive I was. You know, I was, I remember being on vacation with mm -hmm. my parents away from where this girl was and having a complete meltdown because it hurt me that she couldn't live like I could, I guess, something like that. So that was the, I hope that illustrates the level of sensitivity. <laughs> That I experience. It's a funny, I can so relate, you know, and I know that my topic is we're running into this topic trauma at this point for those who haven't noticed, you know, so um, because you are a trauma expert in kind of re kind you know, trying to recalibrate your life and your emotions, you kind of came across these um, almost like a, a drawer, you know, a box where, where we can put people into or the experience we ex had and um, long winded road back to, to me. I totally get what you're saying, you know, that frustration not to be able to do what other people are doing has, has made me highly sensitive, you know, and very kind of aware of looking into other people's needs, you know, yeah. So I super relate. So how did you turn, since I gave away a little bit of your story already, so what happened really? What turned you around or what turned you on, you know? Exactly. It's fascinating. Over time, um, I went to various different helpers, very uh, Western approaches and didn't get a lot of help, was on drugs for a long, like from age six to age 26 or so, psychotropic. Oh yeah, thanks for clarifying. Psychotropic drugs, you know, anti-anxiety, anti-depression, yeah. anti-psychotic yeah. stuff. Mm. They didn't take me to a shaman. <laughs> Come on <laughs> folks, like take me to a healer. Anyways, um, so I had a lot of experience with the mental health field for a long time. And it was mm. only when I was about 22 years old, I'm 31 now, Hmm. Only when I was about 22 years old, I landed at the office of a social worker named Nancy Prowell, God bless her. And she teaches, she's, she's a psychotherapist and she also leads people in groups to teach them dialectical behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. which is a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, the idea that our thoughts, our emotions and our um, actions are all very much linked and 
basically mindfulness practice. So it's rooted in a lot of Buddhist and Eastern practice. And that was like, it was like I'd spent my life in a box, a tiled box, and all the boxes were, yeah, the whole thing was closed in and every surface was smooth. And it was like Nancy gave me a crowbar to start smashing up the the tiles. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it took... Please. Oh yeah. What was a distinct uh, recollection story you might want to share? You know, so we get an idea. Where was that sensation of finally freeing yourself? As I heard, hear it. Yeah. Coping skills, learning uh-huh. coping skills. Do you know how mad I was when I started learning coping skills and realized that nobody had ever taught me how to breathe? Wow. Yeah. It's very simple stuff. Our culture yeah. is, uh, Western culture is very sick that this isn't a part of how kids are raised. It shouldn't have taken that long. I shouldn't have been on so many drugs for so long. You know, those weren't really my choice. And by the time it's normal, when you, I'm a young adult, it, this is just what we do, you know? It's, yeah. And no offense to my family, because everybody does, I think, the best they can with the consciousness they have. And they wanted me to feel better. Yeah. So yeah, and they felt skills. helpless, certainly, you know, I mean, I, I do have the same, re- you know, like, if, if I would like to mention my family and, and my parents, I would always kind of think about them. Why didn't they take me to Ayurveda if they only had known about it, you know, and you, we start the blaming and somehow, um, you know, like where I arrived and where you seem to have arrived is like, at the end of the day, everybody can only take so much with the wisdom they have or the knowledge they have. And that's also part why we're doing these podcasts here, you know, to to help people to hear that they are not alone and that there is remedies and uh, and whatever, you know, like skills that you can attain to help yourself out of the, the dead end street that you feel in sometimes. So yeah, let's keep listening to you. And that sounds super, you know, like, so you learn to breathe and to cope with your anger you know, together with this method, the psychotherapist offered you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. And I was really, really in bad shape at that point, like pretty passively suicidal for a couple of years, like not good. <laughs> Things were not good. Um, and I got to see other people who were in similar spaces. It was a group method. So dialectical behavioral therapy is often taught as a group. They call it psychoeducation rather than therapy itself, which is beautiful because it depathologizes the stuff that we're going through. And these were, you know, adults who had kids, grown kids and everybody in the mix. It was really grounding to be in a space where what I was dealing with wasn't unusual. Mm. My level of distress was pretty on par with the other people. And I just got to learn like, oh, right. If you smell lavender oil and you just focus on it, (sighs) that feels better. And so DBT, there's like 50 skills or something and you have checklists and every day you fill out your checklist and it's very consistent and you get to track your progress. So I had that amazing experience with a social worker Mm. and that was like, somebody gave me the keys back. Wow. I don't know that it was so, I can't recall how extreme the shift was at the time. It happened over time. I did, uh, I think I did three rounds of eight week, three eight week rounds of the same program. You know, I stuck with it because I loved mm. it. 
And I had been practicing yoga at that point since I was about 18. So I was familiar with yoga. I've always been interested in, I guess you could call it the occult and alternative yeah. approaches. Uh, and I got just more into my yoga and more into meditation. And it took me a bit of time. I was non-traditional and finishing my undergraduate work. But eventually, when I was about 25, I finished a, a bachelor's in science and psychology from a great school, um, SUNY Geneseo in New York. I had to work really hard. <laughs> there were lots of really smart people there. It was wonderful to be super yeah. challenged. Um, I finished that and then applied right away to do a master's in social work program. So I was probably about 26 at that time. And I just knew that I was, I'd been very active in the activism world in a lot of different areas, workers' rights and environmental justice and LGBTQ stuff. Um, so I've been in that shake it up world and I figured, well, if I'm gonna try to change the world, if I'm inspired by this woman and I wanna maybe do that, or if I'm gonna be doing some kind of community organizing, I might as well be paid to do it at work instead of mm. work hard at some job and then do it in my off time. So that was my approach. Like, yeah, I think I can, I can swing this. But I went to social work school and was very uh, aware of how poor the working conditions are for social workers in a traditional track in the United States. Sorry, you pay quite a lot of money. You know, I mean, this is a European kind of US slash podcast, but I mean, I'm located here and this is like something we can get through university uh, without having to pay for it. But I have a friend who recently graduated as a social worker and it's enormous what you have to put in and then you come out and you don't even get the, you know, the credit for doing that kind of work, having taken your own kind of power, your money power, your manifestation power, and then you're being paid, you know, let's call it shit, you know, <laughs> for what I've noticed. Is that true? Yeah. It's completely on point. Yeah. And, you know, the money, if things go well, is in private practice, which yeah. is difficult because folks who are offering private practice usually aren't as able, and it depends on how they run it, but aren't as able to serve the populations who are most in need, which yeah. isn't all, there's a big uh, debate in the social work world because it's called social work. It's that our values are very grounded in serving those who have access to less. So that's been a very interesting internal dialogue for me in terms of following my dharma, mm. honoring the profession that I chose. And yes, I'm in a lot of debt. <laughs> and I'll say this for YHC, I am paying it off very fast because I started my own business. And that's, that has to be part of the dharma. We have yeah. to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for yeah. those listeners who don't know um, what YHC is, it's um, Adair and I am in the same, or she is in the program that I have left behind now a few years, which is like yoga health coaching. And it's inspired by Kate Stillman, who not so much helps us to learn coaching because most of us have really knack for understanding people asking good questions, but in how to position ourselves in the community and 
what I heard you saying in as a parallel to that, when you met the, um, the first psychotherapist and the way you engaged with it is very much what we're trying to offer people who come to us f from free will and not feeling so sick sometimes as you did or as I did, but to come and do something in an embedment of hearing other people feeling seen and heard and supported for more than just six, eight weeks, you know, but really going into deepening the stuff because let's hear the result. What happened with you after you kind of found the crowbar, you know, what happened really to you and you kind of started studying and everything. What is it you turned on to? Isn't it funny how some of the most uncomfortable experiences of our lives can bring such huge joy and clarity? Yes. While we're I in had, it, we can't see it, no? Right? <laughs> I had this relationship while I was in grad school, and um, the person I was with taught me a lot about my own self-worth and uh, just so much about what I needed, what I needed to learn right then and it was hard and the cool thing is that he turned me on to kundalini yoga yeah and kundalini yoga was the next crowbar kundalini yoga has an amazing ability to regulate our neurotransmitters it it changes our our body chemistry and our mind chemistry in a way that nothing ever has and that was when that's when i got off of any kind of psychotropic medication for the first time pretty much ever I don't take, um, you know, I don't take meds anymore and I haven't for many years. I started to get into a Kundalini yoga practice during school because it was hard. I was watching all these social workers struggle. I was struggling in my own internships, just figuring out how to do it and uh, learning a lot about trauma. It was very traumatizing to learn a lot about trauma. Very mm. difficult program for many reasons. Way too much is expected of students. It's so hard to learn in a stressful when we're fully stressed all the time. It's not helpful. Anyways, I found this practice on yoga, on Glow. It's an app mm. online with one particular teacher named Kia Miller. And I started doing it every day. I started my first 40 day practice of a Kundalini yoga meditation, yeah. which is breath and energy work. And I just, that was like, I exploded out of the box. Talk about superpower i was like oh my gosh the energy that has been in a funnel going to the center of the earth you know this energy that i have that i had no concept of how to control because we are not raised understanding chi understanding prana mm -hmm. in a western world unless yeah. we were which mm. most of us weren't i started to realize that i could direct my energy mm. and that intensity that i explained from childhood it turned into joy a lot more. It turned into power. Even if I wasn't comfortable, I was at least able to transmute and alchemize what I was moving through. And I started to process a lot of old junk. Mm -hmm. And um, thank goodness I had that relationship, right? Because I, this particular yeah. person introduced me to Kia. I finished school. I did a two-year program. I had no money and somehow I ended up by the grace of God being offered some money by my folks and then money came from somewhere else and I wrote a letter to Kia asking for a scholarship because she had a yoga teacher training at the Himalayan Institute in Pennsylvania just mm -hmm. 
three hours from my house, um, which is close because she lives in LA and she trains people in India most of the time. Like it was very convenient that I was able to drive and I got to do a three and a half week immersive training, 200 hours in Kundalini yoga and vinyasa. And at that point, um, I just, I'd ended that relationship. Thank goodness. I was doing some big healing around that. And I realized that I was not intended to go on a traditional social work path, that everything I learned was mm. tremendously valuable. You know, I got trained as a EMDR therapist. EMDR is eye movement desensitization and retraining or reprocessing. It's a phenomenal trauma therapy. I got really well trained in all the trauma stuff. I got to have a, um, an intern or a, a assistantship, which I still kind of keep with a phenomenal professor who was a midwife and just learned a ton of things. And I have these bags, these amazing bags of information packed with my yoga stuff and everything. And I'm like, I'm not going to work at an agency. This is not my path. However, I love social workers. I love healers. I love helpers and I want them to be well. So my bags are packed with all the good stuff really with the goal of empowering anybody who's in a healer position to be able to care for themselves well enough to care for others. And that's fun because I have to every single day, I get to every single day check in and say, am I doing what I'm asking people to do? And generally the answer is yes. And if it's not, it's a quick correction because you're full of shit if you think you can tell people to take care of themselves and not take care of yourself. And it, as it is with healing and with everything that we teach and we engage with, I mean, the, the, as the path unfolds, as I always say, you know, like as you already mentioned the superpower, that power that we always do. And sometimes it feels like the wrong thing to do. And then it becomes actually, if we, if we able to transmute it, transform it into its own power, so it doesn't backlash on us all the time, it becomes the path. And I feel so, you know, at that moment in point, uh, I feel so connected to what you're saying because what I've learned and what I've also read recently in one of the yoga bigger texts is like, you know, someone has to teach to understand the way. And I think this is what we find ourselves a lot reaching out if you're a social worker or if you're, you know, as somebody in a helper position that First of all, in order for you to understand yourself, you kind of start to, you know, try to help other people. You, it's almost like mirror work, constant mirror work. And the only way that I feel you distinguish yourself from maybe um, other people who are not so driven to, to, you know, heal themselves as much as they're trying to help others is like exactly that point where we're seeing this as a self-reflection first. And in this knowing, we can suddenly take charge and turn away from systems that are broken. Unfortunately, that's everywhere. You know, I mean, I, I left social work for the very same reason, you know, because it's a broken system and people who have so much heart get hurt even more in my eyes, you know, or, you know, they don't get valued as they should. Um, and that's, that's unfortunate. But you kind of ended up with this kind of taste of like, I know now what trauma is and hence I know how to help people. Yes, that kind of <laughs> said, so I see you more or less as a trauma expert, you know, from how I got to know you, if you want to kind of elaborate a little bit on that topic. 
I appreciate that. It's very interesting um, because I see myself as someone with a lot of expertise around trauma, but you may have had the experience and I, and I love to talk about it and I'm happy to educate people about it. I'm not trying to downplay my understanding because it's pretty mm. thorough. However, when you're swimming in the big, when you're swimming in the big ocean next to the big fishes, uh, I don't mind not being a trauma expert. I'll let the people that I, I get to co-author with keep that, <laughs> even though they don't even take that title all the time because I have amazing mentors who say, yeah, expertise is good. If I'm an expert, it's, a, it's more of an identity, right? Listen to me. I'm the expert. Yes, and you are. And I think we, we can have ownership or um, agency, I think you say, and um, I hear that a lot, you know, that we have agency for our, the things that are happened to us in order for us, if we are on the right path, to, to pass on to other people. And I mean, I don't mean like, um, I know you're, you're, we often see experts as the people with a doctor um, annotation with the, with the title and with the, the book offerings. But as such, I think you are an expert, you know, like as, as somebody who really lived a life, you know, and he, you walk the walk. And so, yeah, you're coming out and finding yourself in these conversations. That's what I hear, you know, about trauma. Hmm. Yeah, it's no, it's no accident for sure. Something very interesting. So the um, ICD-10 is, is what the World Health Organization uses to classify psychological diseases or whatever you want to call okay. it, disorders. And um, the American Psychological Association, they're pretty on par with each other. And according to both, what I experienced as a kid and throughout my young adult life doesn't actually count as trauma because, well, assuming that only trauma could cause PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? So there's this contingency factor. There's certain things that, quote, count, and there's certain things that don't, which in one sense, who gives a fuck? And in the other sense, like, like, who, yeah, whatever. And in the other sense, it actually matters because of how systems work and what's reimbursed and what's validated and what isn't, you know? So there's, there's plenty of reasons why people want to keep certain boundaries constrained or else we'll have people saying that, oh, you made me go to school. I, it's traumatic, right? You know, there's that, that yeah, they call it bracket, yes, bracket yeah. creep. However, the woman I work with, Mickey Spurlick, my amazing mentor, the, the midwife turned social work researcher, she got into studying trauma nuts and bolts because she discovered that emotional, um, emotional abuse and neglect, neither of those count as precursors to PTSD. You don't, it doesn't quote count. Hmm. So it's very interesting. It's taken me years to recognize that my experience counts as trauma. Because if you look at all the tools that social workers typically use or psychologists typically use to denote what people have been through in order to treat them, I don't have almost any of the ACEs. They're called adverse childhood experiences. Those are that, yeah. you know specific list of things that can lead to negative health outcomes for adults. Yeah. Um, you know, my folks were together, we had enough to eat, I lived in a safe place, I lived in a loving family, loving extended family, had good friends, right? 
my life looked so normal. Yeah. In the supportive sense. And yet I really went through a lot and it's only been really when you facilitated a call that I did for the yoga health coaching program not long ago, and even sharing my story there, I had another layer of stepping into truth around, oh, this is so real. And even now I feel it again, like it's very affirming just to be able to say, oh, that's real. And, And to be witnessed and realize, oh, none of these people think I'm just some complaining, you know, middle class white girl, right? That's not that's not the appearance, but isn't that interesting that that might be something that that's my, you know, the old inner dialogue. There's nothing wrong. You're fine. Get over it. Not that I want to keep that at that thought, but those are things that will come up and I have to chop their heads off. Yeah. And it's what lies in between the lines. I mean, when I did social work way back in the days and I was just, you know, I was just helping young people to to build their last step into independency because they weren't allowed to live by themselves so they lived in this you know like apartment together shared apartment and what i didn't realize how for a very long time how difficult that work was because there was no specific thing happening with these people but they were all deeply traumatized they came from backgrounds where they didn't tell the stories fully because they didn't think it was something special and i you know and suddenly stuff would kind of happen like my favorite story is about like this guy coming into my uh, apartment or coming into the apartment with a gun and thinking that it's like you know like uh, i need to have that folder of you and need to know what's written about my girlfriend here and i'm like what's going on you know, and so shocking to be in these situations. And I hear you saying that. So I'm super curious how you, you know, almost like uh, unveiled this, um, this word for you and this process for you. So what was it really that opened you up to say like, yes, this still, even if it's, you know, not classically defined as trauma, what has you made become clear? That's interesting. You know what it was? It was my teacher, Kia. I did, I started doing uh, advanced training with her last two years ago, maybe, I think I went. And we were doing shadow work. And she asked all of us, we were just diving into our stuff, right? As, as people do at yoga teacher trainings in that kind of space. And she asked us to share with the group of about 16 to 17 people a statement that was true about ourselves after we'd done all this processing and and spending time and the thing i said which is so powerful and i'm still working with it is there is nothing wrong with me And the release that came from that, you know, and of course being in a space that's so unbelievably sacred and and, um, supportive was amazing because I had a very, very strong emotional reaction. I mean, when I I have a big reaction, I'll blow the roof off of a place. So for me to feel safe enough to do that Mm -hmm. is such a gift. So I had these people holding the space for me and Kia, I was really just losing it 
in a good in the best way like in the way that a lot of us who love who love to process our stuff and love to yeah. heal it's like oh yes i get to like scream and cry and lose it have a physiological freak out release yeah. she came over to me and i she may have put her hand on my back or something and and i i think i said something like this isn't this isn't how like something along the lines of denying myself saying that this is trauma i think i said something like this isn't trauma how could it be and she's like this is trauma and here i am you know trauma researcher i ought to know right and i couldn't even honor my own stuff and she just put her hand there and said yes it is hmm. Wow. Thank you for being so vulnerable. It reminds me of that I can be very explosive in emotions in a safe place. And thank you for putting this out. This is like huge for me because I think like I was uh, recently asked about like, you know, yeah, you seem to be a pretty head on and, you know, logic, you know, but then, and then I ask you something and then something comes out and then it goes hiding again. And the truth is, and I think this is what we're trying to all break down in yoga health coaching and yoga healer, that we trust our emotions. And even though we don't need to constantly live them on display for everybody else to have to deal with them, but that so many emotions are unwelcomed, you know, and this is like what I hear as well, which is a defining moment for you in this relationship with this person who kind of brought this forward and out um, for you, you know, that it's, um, that we need to see our emotions more clearly instead of just logically. <laughs> and that's an everyday process. That's every day. I'm doing some wonderful work with Layla Martin right now, not with her one-on-one, -on -one, but in a program of hers. She's a, she's a sacred sexuality, sexuality and relationship coach fourth or fifth wave, whatever you want to call it, feminism or womanism. She, she's pushing a, a new envelope for sexual revolution in this really beautiful, inclusive way. And um, even though I have access to lots and lots of programming for her, I keep coming back to her first her first guided meditation, which isn't even about a pleasure practice or anything. It's just some breath work. And it's really mostly a meditation in the way she asks the participant to invite, invite what is, you know, we, we, most of us have heard that. Oh, right. Like invite your emotions and let them be here, but there's different layers. And <laughs> most mornings I'll just listen to that and just breathe and be really invite what is and like love my body as a temple and really be in whatever space i'm in and just love it like this is a fucking miracle and that's it, all the emotions anything or if you're not feeling something that's welcome here all of it and oh. i just want to um for anyone who's listening like remind us all that we can do that every day and we we would probably benefit from it because it's really easy to shut that stuff down and it doesn't help <laughs> snap snap <laughs> totally snap you know i mean this is like synchronicity all over you know this is like what i'm working on every morning these days you know just to embrace life and love life and 
you know, you might think that is woo woo if you're listening, you know, like, oh yeah, I do that anyway. And I, and, and maybe you love your work and maybe you do love the engagement, but um, I think at the root of all the classical traditions, you know, like if we look into Buddhism, which you mentioned, you know, in all, in all these Asian tradition of awakening or trying to reconnect with yourself, it's, it's, they never say like, it's just one aspect of your life, but the <laughs> sheer joy of just noticing how your bed feels or, you know, like how the sun is coming in or that you're not liking how the sun is coming in. All this is actually what they are pointing towards. And you might find yourself, you know, being awakened by, I don't know, there is being awakened by a lot of different tools. That's what I hear, you know, like a lot of processes and not so much with the one thing, or is this still for you the Kundalini practice? Or what is it, you, you know, or is it just you, you really go for it until you find where you need to work next? I was just writing about this the other day. I love, I love being able to post on social media this stuff, you know, to share these things. I was reflecting because I thought Kundalini yoga was it. You know, you know now how powerful it was. I mean, truly saved my life. I figured for the rest of my life, I presume I will do this practice because it's not an unreasonable presumption. Many people do but yeah. get very stuck. Not even, they might get stuck with it, but they stick with it. And I just keep being delighted over and over again by my powerful negative mind that doesn't quite trust any teacher fully, even though it, you know, it, it, it recognizes that people are human, right? Yes. And I have one Kundalini yoga teacher. I'm not interested in the big world of Kundalini yoga. I have one particular teacher. There's a lot of messed up stuff about that world. And, and I, I do trust her, right? Yes. For good reason. Yes. So, I have Kate, who's a phenomenal teacher, Kate Stillman. I have all these different constellation points that I pull from, and it keeps me very safe. It keeps me very safe because I wouldn't be drawn to those teachers if I didn't know with my heart, soul, and gut that I was supposed to be with them. And they're not going to be there forever. And I must be able to do it. I have to be my own teacher. I haven't had, until very recently, I hadn't embraced any local yoga teachers. I've been, quote, my own teacher for many years uh, because I would do Kia's online classes. She's the only one I wanted to hang out with and she wasn't in person. And I just learned, stick with your gut, stay close to your friends who know you, keep processing and asking them, what do you see here? Uh, you know, I think I'm on the path. Am I missing something? And they tell me, Usually they're like, no, you're doing great. And, and, and always be willing to, I believe in always being willing to stop a practice. Never think that you have to do a practice in order to be um, on the path because that's just attachment and it will lead to confusion. So sometimes I've been a little flippant and maybe even violent with myself in terms of cutting off certain paths, but it's like, I want to know that I'm good with my core, not because it's just a tool or a practice. And I'm the lady with 7,000 bags saying, hey, I got a practice for you. I love practices, but I don't believe that we should always carry them everywhere we go, no matter what. Yeah. It's great to see what actually lasts when you wake up and do nothing that day. Usually I feel like crap after a certain point, so I decide to do the practice the next day, but so important to give ourselves that freedom. 
Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You know, so when your practice becomes so disciplined that you think you're doing a bad thing if you don't do it, but you don't know how it really feels, that's where you start the process truly. And that's also my view of things. Totally. <laughs> Say amen to that. Amen. amen. Yeah. And we have to do that. We have to, we have to, we have to go too far and we have to get too disciplined and we have to yeah. get undisciplined and somewhere in between there we yeah. get to be alive and hopefully happy. So do we, that you sweet listener who's been uh, sitting with us for a while, feel alive and happy and encouraged to reach out maybe to Adair, maybe to me. Adair, where can we find you and your specific kind of field of expertise and whatever you have to give to whoever is ready to take it? <laughs> oh my gosh, I'd love to talk to any, I want to talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at withadair.com, W-I-T-H-A-D-A-I-R.com. All of my other venues of reach, reaching me are there. You can find me on Instagram too at withadair. Yeah. And even if you just want to follow her, it's so lovely to be in uh, the extraordinary life with Adair, isn't it? The... Be being extraordinary is my program. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's a super sweet web, uh, Facebook site. I love seeing your process there. And we're going to put the links underneath in the show notes. So you don't need to put your pen and paper. You can put it down and <laughs> you will get all the links, but yeah, if you're interested to see what she does and how she develops, do click and like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> so thank you for taking time, Adair, and for being so open and vulnerable and, yeah, for helping us all along in this exchange that it really is that we have with each other instead of just with ourselves. Oh, no, we're so not alone. Thank you so much. This is the kind of thing that just lights me up. I'm going to have a phenomenal day with my puppy because, well, because puppy, but really because we got to have this conversation. You just made me so happy by having this conversation. Thanks. And you made me happy. It was, that's what I love. That's what I love about the exchange in these podcasts. You know, it's, it's never to me just a presentation. It's just like the exchange and what comes up out of these conversation thank you for being a good sport and coming along mm. always fun mm. <laughs> <laughs> see you next time dear listener bye. bye if you enjoy listening to my podcast please consider to become a patron at patreon.com slash alexandra kreis and pledge your donation 